Welcome to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast, a podcast where a couple of fools grab some cold ones and talk by the fire. So crack a cold one, come sit by the fire, and get a few laughs as we discuss everything from the meaning of life, space travel, and weird moments in history. East versus West philosophy. A topic so simple, it's complicated. How complicated it is? Well, Plato once said, There is truth in wine and children. Me, my co-host Nick, we have no children, so we'll have to double down on the alcohol. Speaking of which, Nick, how are you and what are you drinking? I'm doing great. I got some rogue winter ale here that is pretty awesome, waiting to drink all of it while we blunder through this mess that we're going to not mention some things because there's so much to cover. But uh, what are you drinking? I went with a very Western drink. I went with uh, Balacoons, a Texas bourbon that I would summarize as being a very Western alcohol drink. And I right now have it on ice and it's pretty goddamn good. But yes, East versus West philosophy. Are there differences? Spoiler alert, there definitely is. And where's the stem from? Where's the stem from? How does it affect societies? What's some of the science behind it? And what actually deviates between the two cultures? Well, we're going to get into that. But before we get too deep into that, I want to start with the history, which, spoiler alert, is also complicated. So this is kind of going to be a quick synopsis of the history. Nick, I feel like an entire podcast could be done just solely doing episodes on philosophy. I feel like those actually exist. Yeah, and I feel like each one of these separate schools of philosophy that we're going to cover could be its own. So if we don't mention something, don't be surprised. I'm sure there's going to be some... Well, I didn't vote for him. ...expert on Jainism screaming, how could you not mention that? And I mean, my Python philosophy is the true philosophy. Everyone knows exactly. this. Everyone knows you throw the holy hand grenade in the comments. Glad we got the Monty Python quotes in early. (laughs) Well, speaking of this Western philosophy and who started Western philosophy, many credit Theus Omeletius. Definitely did not pronounce that correct. But they pretty much kind of credit him as the first philosopher in the Western world, but there were many before him. Thales was kind of the one that everyone mentioned, and we started talking about big name drops in philosophy. But going back even farther than that, in in Babylonia, a book called The Dialogue of Pessimism, a comical philosophy from what I've read on the synopsis between a slave and his master was written about 2200 BC, which is really weird to think about that's 6,000 years ago of... the first philosophy book kind of being written. Moving forward in the Babylonian history, you have the Theodosi, a poem-esque. It was kind of hard to figure this stuff out. It's really weird how Babylonians are kind of the forefathers of the forefathers, but yet it's kind of hard to find information, even in modern day and age with the online at our fingertips. But this poem would be written around 1000 BC and it'd be philosophical then you have the asian egyptians but still the history would be kind of lost kind of talked around 
and not really exists to this day, at least not how when we think of philosophy exists. It wasn't until you get around 500 to 200 BC when you start getting the heavy hitters. Heavy hitters such as Lao Tzu, Buddha, Confucius, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and then further down the line, different philosophers, but those six, all born within 150 years of each other, Nick, and I'll be honest with you, it's fucking weird that they were all born that close together. It's very suspicious. It's like, what was going on? Is it, is it just agriculture allowed so, much, so many people to have so much free time? Or is something else going on? Thousands of miles away, all creating philosophies that would echo throughout the eternity. That's, I don't think that circumstance would ever happen. And statistically, it just, I don't think it can happen. So there's, there's definitely something afoot. But just for some quick dates, just to give everyone, Buddha would live from about 563 to 483 BC. Confucius lived from about 551 BC to 479 BC. And Socrates lived to 470 BC to 399 BC, followed by his students Plato and Aristotle, who all lived in there during this time. So some overlap there. But the word philosophy, in the modern day sense, comes from Greece, meaning the love of knowledge. And Nick, this is, this is where we start losing our similarities. Yes, they all arrived about the same time, but they both chose different avenues for their ideology. The Greeks went one way, and, well, Southeast Asia went another way. I feel like there's similarities and differences in both. Oh, no, I completely agree with that. There's definitely heavy overlap, and just a little asterisk before we begin this podcast we're kind of looking more at the differences at least i was when researching this than the similarities it's kind of mindset it's of humanity it's we all want to take care of our families we all want to do great things there's definitely heavy 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 overlap between them all but there are some significant differences yeah so let's start by talking about Confucianism. Oh, you're skipping uh, Lao Tzu. You're skipping Taoism, going straight to Confucianism. Well, okay. So you start. You start then. Ah, okay. If my memory serves me correctly, I believe Lao Tzu, who started Taoism, which is kind of, I think Lao Tzu is sixth century, followed by Confucius. Taoism, which is still in practice today. Not quite sure if it's a religion or philosophy. I'll be honest, had a hard time differentiating the both. But for here in the Western side of the culture, if you hear yin and yang, that's Taoism. If you hear go with the flow, Taoism. Taoism is like, for example, yin and yang. You need two to be complete. So you need a man and woman to be completely full. You need... Yes and no. You need, well, like Katy Perry's song, hot and cold, yes and no, and up and when you're down. You need both to be complete. And Taoism, go with the flow, well, it's more like you can't change your environment, change yourself in the environment, which kind of leads us into Confucius, because Confucius is very 
synonymous with flow and rivers. And uh, I'll probably jump in between Taoism and Confucius quite a bit here, Nick, but why don't you take it away with Confucius? So Confucianism was started by, should have prepared more for reading these names out loud instead of just reading them as I researched. No, just do the mic way. Just say it really confidently and just keep moving on. I believe it's Siddhartha Glama. And he was the founder of Buddhism. And pretty interesting because he was wealthy and basically was the first person to say it's not all about money. Well, I mean, first person to write it down, teach it to people. Life is suffering, if I remember correctly. That was one of his big teachings. Yeah. So a lot of Confucianism revolves around looking inward on oneself. Wait, confused. You said, for, uh, are we not talking about Buddha or are we talking about Confucius? Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm getting getting backtracked, getting confused already. You have to apologize. Nick is a ignorant Westerner with pig ears and and so-and-so. It, well, there there's so many Eastern, that's the same, so many different ones. philosophers. Anyway, Whatever you want to <laughs> philosophies, dude. I oh, uh, I love this. I, we're not even like twenty minutes in, and I'm bullying you. I love it. So, um, which one are you on, Confucius? Oh, we're sorry, we're on Buddhism. Okay, we're on Buddhism. Got it. So, the biggest religion in the world still? Beliefs, right? Close. I'm not, up I don't, there. It's I definitely up there. I don't have that up. Basically, from being super rich and having an awesome life, he found that hat. Happiness didn't revolve around statue and or stature and money. And so he started teaching people about how to make them better and be a better person. And basically saying that happiness happiness comes from within, sum it all up. And that the desire for, you know, wealth and power actually causes a lot of unhappiness and that you need to just be ready to roll with the punches. So like they, you know, he talks a lot about you spend so much time worrying about the next, you know, like if you're going to have kids, like, are you ready for that? Like are, when you're wealthy, what happens when your wealth is gone? Like there's always something and you just need to be happy living in the moment, which I feel like everyone still says today, even if we don't know where it came from, those ideas definitely live on. This might be a bit of a categorization overstep, but it seems to me when researching this, Nick, Wes looks to the future East lives in the present. And it was quite prevalent to me for Confucius, Taoism, and Buddha. Those were the main three Eastern philosophers I researched during this, that living in the moment, going with the flow, and I'm, I'm going to say this throughout the podcast, so I might as well explain it now. I feel Western philosophy is very linear, a line, while Eastern philosophy is quite a circle. I'll explain later in the podcast, but for the Eastern philosophy, when we're, since, since we're talking about Taoism and Buddha of, well, reincarnation is a big one in their religion or philosophy. Again, kind of hard to distinguish between the two, but of you can't change your environment. So change to the environment was a very common theme I came across in Eastern philosophy. Yeah. I think that ties in very well to the four noble truths of Buddhism, which are kind of the core tenets, which is Life is suffering. Ah, I was so right. Check. I remember that. The cause of suffering is craving or wanting something, coveting 
the end of suffering comes with an end to craving. So if you're not, like you said, being happy where you're at, and there's a path which leads one away from craving and suffering, which is living in the moment. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much like life sucks, suck it up, but also be happy. That's suck it up is probably the, the wrong term, actually. That's my What's that saying? What's that? Things could always be worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I feel like that was very common amongst all philosophers. Well, things could be worse. Yeah, but it is. I definitely think that I feel like stoicism is kind of very similar to a lot of these Eastern philosophies. See, I'm very happy you said. All right. So in my I'm very analytical on how I think and how I broke it down in my mind when after researching this was it was kind of Buddha and Stoism kind of goes together. Confucius and Taoism is kind of like Socrates and the Greeks. Like those were the categorizations. And it's very funny about categorizations, but I'll let you finish your train of thought. No, I mean, I don't know if we want to go run through Eastern philosophy, then run through Western or just keep talking what we're talking about. Well, I'm going to keep ping ponging. I'll I'll be honest with you. This is so interesting to me of, again, people all born within a century of each other that shaped empires and kingdoms to this modern time. But the reason why I say categorization and why I say almost like Buddha versus Stoism, Confucius, Taoism versus Socrates and Greeks is there is a mindset that's completely different between Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy. So much so you can actually put a number to it. They've done studies both across multiple European countries and America to multiple Eastern countries. And one of the major ones that first kind of knocked it all out of the park was in 1972, when a Luang Horang Chiu did a study sharing, uh, showing both American children and, nine, and Chinese children three pictures, a cow, a chicken, and a grass, and asked the children to pair two of the three pictures together. The Americans put cow and chicken together. The Chinese put cow and grass together. Over time, more similar experiments have been done by many different researchers. Another big one that was kind of popular when researching was you have a panda, a monkey, and a banana. Americans tend to put panda and monkey together. Taiwan tends to put monkey and banana together. What all this shows, and it might seem very arbitrary, but Westerners on average, choose categories, while Easterners choose relationships. I want to add this on because, one, I'm talking about the linear and circle, like I was talking about. Geography has a huge impact. Their ideas, their crops, their way of life has a huge impact on their philosophy. And go with the flow, life is suffering. It all kind of has to do with relationships. All has to do with kind of categories. It seems the Westerners are very linear, while the Easterners are very cycled, very seasoned with their decision making. And it is measurable to put a number to it. There was an experiment called the Dax experiment. Three objects were placed in front of people. A wooden triangle, a wooden cylinder, and a metal cylinder. The wooden cylinder is labeled Dax, hence the Dax experiment. Then the researchers asked Japanese and Americans what of the other two objects not labeled 
should also be labeled DAX. Two-thirds of the Japanese labeled the triangle DAX. Two-thirds of the Americans labeled the cylinder DAX. In the Eastern culture, and this was experiment was done with different cultures, Eastern cultures tend to choose the same material, wood and wood, while Western cultures tend to choose the same shape, cylinder and cylinder. So on average, across all these experiments, 66% or higher all fall into Westerner or Easterner, which is very surprising to me. Yeah, it's there's a di- there's a very clear difference in cultures, and it's got to stem from somewhere. And I think geography makes a certain makes sense. Like for example, there's a book, I think it's called Wayfinding, and it talked about how different people, different cultures navigate, how they navigate, and how that reflects how they view the world. So if you're a culture that navigates by like, uh, and I think the example was in Siberia, people navigate by landmarks where the, they move around the earth, right? So they'll at a big, you know, like, okay, at the big tree and then past the big tree, you get to like a rolling hill. It translates into other stuff. So if someone from that culture was to take apart an engine, like a small engine, they would leave the small engine in place and they would move around it. And if someone from like the West who navigates with maps where they are the center and they move around everything, they'll take apart a small engine by moving the small engine around on the table. So where, where does all these differences stem from? Like just how you view the world around you and culture is going to do that. And I mean, just geography influences that, how you navigate the world around you. So that translates all the way up into how you view the world. And so it seems like there's a couple different ways of doing it that let us you know, each time we change something, it spouts something different. So it's just a whole mess. And that's the hard part about comparisons between these is we are both looking at this from a Western standpoint and all the people who study one side or the other are looking at it from their own standpoint. I mean, like who's, you know, how many people who have done both have done these comparisons? Like Marco Polo? I don't know. Well, before we get too far in geography, because geography has a huge implementation with it, I well, I want to make some caveats. To say that there's no difference, or there's only no difference because we stand on each, someone stands on each side of the fence, I don't think is accurate. I I kind of all right. This is very basic triangle. So say uh, say you have a triangle, right? One corner is early Western, so. Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Marcus Aurelius. The other base corner is Lao Tzu for like Taoism, Confucius, Buddha, etc., etc. At the very top, I think you have modern. Now they all connect, but they all go their own path, their own path to get to the top. I, I, it's a very interesting question. Does culture influence philosophy or philosophy? influence culture which i feel like you were trying to to say with yes not with less with more words and less context (laughs) fair enough i've i've known you long enough where i get what you're saying well let me give you a piece of information that i think shows that it's equal proportion of influence to each other 
Now, my my hypothesis is that both influence each other, both culture and philosophy influence each other equally. A very, one would say, a yin-yang situation. A little nudge-nudge there. there. Uh, but an interesting study came from Thomas Talholm from University of Chicago, and others were involved, but they examined 28 different provinces in China, and this is more relatively modern times, so it would probably be exacerbated if you looked at more ancient times when societies and civilizations were more disconnected. But they found an interesting trait amongst the provinces. An example of them doing a test is, well, in North Beijing, if you were to sit alone, there's a higher percentage chance of someone you don't know coming to talk to you compared to, say, the south part of a city called Guanazu. I know that's not pronounced right, but they did this to multiple different cities. They found that some parts of the regions were higher chance of people coming to talk to you. Some people were less chance of coming to talk to you. Well, they were trying to figure out what's the common denominator. Common denominator they only could come across was their crop, the plants that they grew. In North Beijing, they grew wheat. And the south of Guanazao, they grew rice. And what we know between the two crops is for wheat, it's a much less labor and numbers crop. More people were independent. And because of that, they were not scared of offending people because they were more independent farmers compared to the rice farmers. Who need to work with their neighbors because well rice is a very hard crop to do with low amount of people so offending and independence was less amongst these people they did this test across multiple different cities in the 28 different provinces of china all came up with the same result wondering if this was just a cultural thing for a country they did the same thing in india and in india they got the same result if you grew up growing a crop that requires teamwork your mindset was completely different compared to someone growing a crop that is more solitary. Makes sense, but to have it in hard writing and have it in research is a big deal. It means their ideas of stoicism, their idea of cooperation, their idea of a group being bigger than an individual, all depends on what crop they grew. Now, this is, again, farm region, not necessarily every profession, but I imagine it has to carry over somehow. And Nick, just for you, I had to add plants somehow. I appreciate that. That's super interesting. I mean, I feel like we kind of talked about that on uh, a little bit of the urban versus rural episode. Well, it's very funny you say urban versus rural because I actually came across something else that was, I thought, very synonymous. So the more likely you are to get an affection, the more collectivism is it you are and less individual. So if you live... So if you are in a place that gets a lot of disease, you tend to be less individualistic, less trying to change the world more, go with the flow, go with society, let society dictate how you think and feel, which I'm wondering if that's a big process of modern rule versus uh, city. I, I imagine that's got to carry over somehow. Yeah. And I'm just trying to think, so connecting dots right now, but a big tenant of Eastern philosophy throughout them is more centered in building a community. Whereas when Western philosophy looks inward to improve oneself, it seems like it's more marginally beneficial. Like it's the focus is on improving oneself for one's own self. Whereas when Eastern philosophy 
looks at improving oneself. It's in order to form a better community. I'd say, let me know if you agree or disagree, Eastern philosophy as a whole seems more focused on creating a better society and fitting into that society, sacrificing more for the greater good than Western philosophy. I don't know if I agree with you or disagree with you, to be honest. From researching this, my biggest takeaway was Westerners want to change the world for themselves and the ones they love, while Easterners change themselves to fit the world for the ones they love. It was change the world or change oneself. I saw a lot less change in Westerners than Easterners for self. I saw a lot more change your environment in the world in Westerners than in Easterners, Does that, if that makes sense. Because my, my main points that I saw this was, I, I was very fascinated with Taoism and Socrates. I, I'm a, I'll, I mean, there's definitely no hiding it. I'm a big fan of the ancient Greeks. I'm a big fan of Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, probably in that order. And with Taoism, it was more go with the flow. And I'll relate it to geography in a sec, but it was more like, you can't change your environment, so change yourself to suit your environment. While in Western world, it was change the mountains that surround you to rise yourself up. It was more external than internal, so to speak. And that might be just me psychologically passing on these philosophies, but I saw, I saw more push outward for Westerners and more push inward for Eastern philosophy. I feel like I saw the opposite. Really? Like, so I guess here's my train of thought. Like the, I'd say the, the early Western philosophers also more science focused, also wanted to understand the world talking about pushing outward. And I saw, you know, they talked about the importance of being involved in, you know, politics and stuff, but I, maybe, I guess it's the, the thought was a little bit different for me. What I thought is that the West was more focused on doing the right thing in their eyes. Whereas the East was more like do the right thing to for everybody. So even if it's the wrong thing, but you'll upset the order of society, we're just going to do it. So I half agree with you. I would definitely say Western was a lot more individualistic and Eastern was a lot more societal. I But but my thing was, it, to me, it was West wants to seek the truth while East accepts the facts that are presented to them. Or West wants to change the world, East wants to change themselves to match the world. It was a lot less vice versa in those two cultures. But what, what about like Confucianism taught obeying a superior because they were superior. Yeah, I would I would say that goes against individualism. I would say that goes completely against Western philosophy of trying to change your environment to be defiant, to try to change your surroundings. I mean, I, I, I agree. I, I just think that maintaining order in a society was a lot more, not maintaining order, but maintaining peace and proper social structure was a lot more important in Eastern philosophy than it was in Western philosophy. I agree with that. It like uh, what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say is for Western philosophy, mainly the Greeks, it was 
work out for yourself and change the world around you to suit yourself rather than Eastern philosophy was look out for your government, for your country, for your family and change to better suit those three things rather than yourself. Like one of Confucius's quotes, the relationship between superiors and inferiors is like that between wind and the grass. The grass must bend when the wind blows across it. This might just be because I'm an American and Western philosophy is in my mind, but the idea of kneeling, like I instantly think of Thermopylae and like, all right, you want my weapons? Come and get them, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. And and not to say that, and not to make sure I'm saying the wrong thing or interpreting it wrong. People always talk about how Confucianism, you have to obey, you know, your parents or you know, your elders, but they serve also serve your emperor, serve your family. That's what I got a lot from Confucius. Yes, but he also says, like, if you're, if they're not serving you, then you have no obligation to serve them. So it, it it's, I see both sides, I guess. Oh, I'm not, I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm just trying to draw the line of what's black and white and the differences between the two. Gotcha. Um, speaking of which, maybe we should talk a little bit about. Western philosophy, the history of that before we get too far into it. I feel like we might not get back to it. Touche. Very, very good point. So like I said, the the ones we call the ancients talk about their ancients, Thales. They all kind of reference him a little bit, but for the most part, the biggest one is Socrates, followed by Plato, followed by Aristotle. Plato would start schools. Aristotle would start his own academy, but Socrates was kind of kind of the Michael Jordan of his time. He was influencing the youth so much that they ended up killing him. And uh, yeah, that, well, not killing him. He committed suicide by poisoning himself. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, But Socrates was a mentor, Plato, and I would dare to say Aristotle. And through their teachings, their writings, what I gathered a lot from Socrates, because I grew up reading the Greeks, is question everything around you. Socrates was notorious for asking why. Like, define like define what a color is. Sounds simple. Quite hard to do, actually. He was kind of the devil advocate of his time. And this was around 300 BC, if I remember correctly. And they would go on, his students, Heracles and... All, Timus and Critias, all, all of them go on to teach, teach kings, emperors, some of the greatest names in history, like Aristotle teaching Alexander the Great, all super fascinating to me. But that great philosophy, again, changed, I mean, both philosophies changed empires. Yeah. And then the other one I wanted to bring up, uh, Stoicism, was that founded in the third century. Ooh, can you wait on Stoicism? Oh, I yeah, want to bring can. around to it. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, keep going. Okay. Well, with with Greek kind of quick 101 history on philosophy gone up, I kind of want to talk about this geography I keep mentioning. How does it stem, how does it involve the philosophies of both cultures? Well, it's actually quite an interesting comparison. So for those who don't know, Greece is quite a mountainous country with lots of sea and mountains so a lot of hard terrain or sailing around stuff 
while in India, Japan, China, Korea, very river-based. So I saw an interesting comparison of why the philosophies go with it, like going with Taoism, go with the flow. So in the Greek Western cultures, they had to climb mountains. They had to navigate the seas. They had to create their own destiny. While in India, China, Vietnam, South Korea, North Korea, they had to go with the rivers. They had to go with the flow. It was a lot more environmental. That's why I kept bringing up change your environment, change the world versus changing yourself. What I saw when researching this is a lot in Eastern culture, it's like you can't change an entire forest to change yourself to match the forest. While in Western culture, it was like conquer that mountain, make that mountain your bitch. And that geography seems to have a huge influence on both. Much like the crops that were doing the study on both rice and wheat in both India and China, it seems like the geography of rivers versus sea or rivers versus mountains has a huge implementation on a person's psychology and their philosophy. So it seems like with the classics, Buddha, Confucius, and Taoism, that they are more one with nature. They are more with, like Confucius said, a grass bends with the wind. While in Western mythology with the mountains, the ruggedness, it's more like withstand the wind and defy the wind. It's more individualistic rather than environmentalist. Which I don't know if you came across this, Nick, but I would love to hear your opinion on it. I didn't specifically research this, but I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I think it's, I mean, again, I think you should read the book Wayfinding because it talks a lot about exactly. I have read this. Oh, you have? Okay, what you're talking about. And yeah, just, I mean, how you influence the world. Is, and also, not just that, but what resources are available. Like, if you have all the resources available to live, it's easier to not question things as much. But if you need to, if you need to you know, turn that turn that forest into a field, you need to do it. And then once you see that you can change these things, you start to question what else can you change. And I think it's more geography, but also resource availability. Yeah, I I, I would I agree with that. Something I would like to add on to it though is. Um... In China specifically, the culture was unified underneath the Han Dynasty. So it's similar thinking, similar mindset. While in the Western Greek world, you have city-states. Greece, constantly at war with each other. I don't, God knows how many times Athenians and Spartans fought against each other. To me, a lot more showing of uniformity versus individualism. I mean, if you look at the heroes of Greece, it's standing out for your city-state. You want to, I mean, each city is different. It's not a unified country. You want to say, I'm from Athens. I'm from Thebes. I'm from Sparta. You don't want to say, I'm from Greece. You want to say your city. But I saw very pronounced of, no, I'm from the Han Dynasty. I'm from Xi Jinping. I'm from Beijing. I, I, I don't know why, but I got a very individualistic view when looking at Western philosophy, and I got a very united view when looking at eastern philosophy no i think that's definitely the case uh, yeah i mean i think that's what i was talk, trying to say earlier when we were talking about you know how they interact with other people socially and you know people above or below their station 
and obviously the not that the West didn't have you know stations, but it seemed that it would, there's you're more available to to question things. Well, I mean, you just get killed, but if still you're a landing owner male, then then you can question things. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that there's. I'd say if you had to break down like big, the biggest difference, it probably would be that the West was more independent and the East is more whole, more societal based. Like they really wanted to preserve their their way of life. They're, they weren't trying to shake anything up. Like they're trying to be content in their world and the West was ready to shake. Yeah, that's what I was, uh, I guess you said it better than I did. I get, it looks like we're going for tit for tat here, Nick of the it seemed like eastern culture is like they didn't want to change anything keep the status quo western culture was let's switch things up i think i think you hit the nail on the head with that analogy much better than i did the king strange (laughs) women lying in sores distributing lakes it's no basis for a system of government well nick what did the romans ever do for us well they did make stoicism yes stoicism is pretty good you can go out at night. Uh, it's pretty nice. <laughs> they made the aqueducts. The aqueducts. Uh, before we switch to stoicism, I just want to say it seems like to me, at least for the Greeks, compared to what, how would how would you classify the ancient Eastern philosophies? I don't I don't know if there's a title for them, but it seems like the West, when it came to individualism, it was fulfill fate. Well, in East, it was accept fate. I'd say that's pretty spot on. But on to Stoicism, which I'll be honest, Nick, is one of my favorites. Stoicism's making a comeback. Thank the fucking gods. I mean, we did get one really good emperor out of that. Yeah, if we're lucky, we'll get another. That'd be pretty sweet to have a Stoic president. Let's not aim too high. Let's go with (laughs) just congressmen. A Stoic in the state legislature. Yeah, I'll take... Dude, honestly, I'll take that. Let's... (laughs) stoism made from zeno of cyprus and the best way to describe what the fuck stoism is is cause and effect stoism is pretty much the philosophy of you can't control everything but you can control how you handle it yes is that oversimplified absolutely yes is that just a one statement for a very complex philosophy lasting well thousands of years at this point Absolutely, but I think that does it quite justice, I would say so, though you might disagree, Nick. Sorry, say that last part again. Stoism is you can't control everything, but you can control how you handle it. Yeah, I would say it, uh, I, I think Stoicism is, seems like it takes a little bit of, of Buddhism of that, you know, don't be upset because something happened, but also the Western idea of make it happen. I'll be honest with you, Stoicism seems like a very equal balance between East versus West philosophy. That's exactly what I was thinking. Okay, good. I'm not I'm not alone with this crazy thought. So I'd say the, the biggest difference is that so like Confucius talks about how, you know, you shouldn't yearn for wealth, whereas Stoicism says you you know, you can yearn for wealth, but understand the print like what goes into that. The consequences of your actions. Yeah, and don't be surprised like if something bad happens because we you know that this is there's a danger in this. But Stoicism really talked about being virtuous, and I, I think Stoicism takes that kind of 
more uh, like morality based. It was very directed to me. It was like, you can achieve your goals, just don't step on people while doing so. It was, you can have what you want, but you can't have everything kind of mentality. Yeah, kind of. So in that being virtuous should be like the goal. Like that's the goal of stoicism is to, you know, what we call, you know, having being trustworthy and being a good person. Like that's step one. And then everything else is. Ooh, what's the Socrates? What's the Socrates? I think it was Socrates of if someone bat, I'm going to ad lib it here, but if someone bad mouths you live a life where no one will believe it, that's kind of very stoic to me. It's like you live such a good life when someone says something bad about you that they don't, that other people don't believe it. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's exactly what I would say. Uh, but a little history for Stoism. Uh, it was founded by Zeno of Cyprus. Stoism comes from, I think, where he was holding his own school. Can't quite remember. Then the next notable figure would be in 4 BC to 65 AD, a Lucius Annius Seneca, who would be a advi- not advisor, a teacher to Neo. And anyone who knows the Roman history... Neo was not a good guy. Neo was very naughty, very evil, like one of the worst emperors ever of Rome. And then popularized by Marcus Aurelius uh, about 100 years later in 121 to 180 D was Marcus Aurelius' time. In his book Meditation, Stoism had a huge factor of when he was an emperor. And I'll be honest with you, Nick, it seems like Stoism for leadership position amongst all of them taoism buddha confucianism socrates platoism aristotle it seems like it seems like stoism was like the best for both the emperor and the people yeah and then i would agree i'm biased a huge fan of marcus aurelius and stoicism you definitely follow uh, the roman rules yeah it's uh it's just such no laugh out of that one come on trying to my brain's been working hard on this one. Ah, well, my brain's hardly working. Didn't. Oh, jeez. Oh, come on. Come on. We're talking about my favorite people in history, and I make two puns. Ugh. Ugh. All right. I'll let it slide. It's just that's such an easy one. That's like a that's like a workplace water cooler. Like, oh, Bob, hard at work or hardly working? Do you not know me? <laughs> like, like, what are you talking? Like, low-hanging fruit? Yes, sign me up. How very stoic of you. Uh, you know me, being one of the greats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but going back to stoicism, it seems like, for me, since we're taught, like, I drew a lot of comparisons with the circle and line of Westerners being more linear, Easterners being more seasonal with a circle. Like, drawing parallels with Buddha, with reincarnation, but also drawing parallels moving from Socrates to Marcus Aurelius with linear of being like, well, you want to move your army. You want to do this. You can do it, but what are the consequences to it? That to me, stoic is not letting emotion dictate you, but dictate your emotion. And I'll be honest, Nick, I feel, I feel some of the greatest leaders in all time were quite stoic. Um, if I remember correctly, Nelson Mandel read, stoic work while he was in prison and when he left was quite a stoicist himself i believe also martin luther king and i'm not quite sure but i also believe george washington 
So some of the greatest men in history followed and read the Stoics. Yeah, and I think it's right. Like it's just a good way to look at things. And I think like my uh, this is gonna be a, a deep cut for any Star Wars fans, but like if you read any of the books, the Grand Admiral Thrawn was like the biggest threat to the rebellion because he was just such a great leader because he was so intelligent, but he was definitely a stoic. Like everything he knew the cause and effect of everything. And so he would do something and then people would be like, what, how, why is this happening? He's like, well, we did this. This is, they're going to do this like that. And he, he just accepted it. And then people, you know, he got people to kind of think like that, but it's just the, I think the biggest tenant is the same thing from Confucianism of just the acceptance of the world around you, which is the clash of Stoicism with other Western philosophies. Yes, I would, I would very much agree with this. Of It seems like Confucianism and Taoism is accept the world of how it is and adapt to it. And with Stoicism is, yes, you can do that or you can change it. And while earlier Greeks were more extreme of going, no, you can change your environment. Don't try to adapt to it. That's why the analogy, well, not just the analogy, but the science of the geography was so interesting to me. On one hand, you have a country filled with individual city-states covered in mountains. On the other hand, you have cultures that were dictated by rivers. One, go with the flow. I mean, anyone who's seen Chai Chi of people moving their bodies and going with the flow in the natural state, letting your body it, it go to a natural state, even if you don't want to, to adapt to your environment versus western which this is a little bit too far in time but very nietzsche-ish is you control your own destiny very stiff is not the right word again linear is the only best word i'd come up with it but very brazen to change mountains to i don't know it seems it seems to me in the western philosophy is like say sports for example in the western philosophy whether it be Stoism or the ancient Greeks, if you want to be the best, you have to be the best. You want to you you strive to be the best. You want to you'll make the sacrifices to be the best. While in the Eastern philosophy, it seems like you want to be a master. You want to have complete control. You want to be kind of humble, I guess would be a way to say it. But in Western world, you want to be the best. In the Eastern world, you want to be a master. Those could be synonymous with each other, but when looking at Eastern and Western philosophy, they are very different. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. But I feel like the West places more like I'm being the best at something, whereas the East is more focused on just like being a good person, whereas like there's more of a push to be more proficient in something in the West. Like, no, I, I agree with you. I feel very much more of a caste system in the Eastern philosophy of the place you were born is kind of the place you were born. Just learn to live with it. Look within to make yourself happy rather than outward. In the Western world, it is like you were born the lowest of the low, but if you become a gladiator, you can become the most famous man of all the in all the world. It's, it's. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like Knight's Tale, but in Western philosophy, it's like, you can change the stars. And in Eastern philosophy, it's like, 
admire the stars on how they are. Yeah, pretty much. But kind of bring it full circle, like Eastern philosophy. See what I did there? I I I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> kind of bring it back with I keep talking about with linear and circle. It seemed to me, Nick. I don't know if you came across this in your research of Eastern philosophy was more like a actual circle, whether it be Buddhism with reincarnation or Taoism of go with the flow of you are born into the position you are. You learn to be the best you can be. You go with the flow and you end up where you are only to return back to the dirt. While in, it seems like Greek mythology, especially, but Greek philosophy, it was change and become a hero to live on forever. I mean, I'm not, I'll be honest. It's a very big asterisk. I'm not familiar with Hindu, Buddha, Taoism, mythology, but I do know in Greek mythology that many heroes goal was to make it to Olympia or to make it to, I can't remember, but it's a place, it's a place on the river sticks where heroes go. Cause the rest was just kind of boring. Like you wanted to isolate yourself. You wanted to put yourself on a pedestal. Now I'm not saying one's better than the other, I'm just saying that was a huge difference to me of you want to separate yourself as an individual in the Western philosophy. In the Eastern philosophy, you want to be one with nature. You want to be as if you leave no footsteps on a beach. Yeah, I mean, I think that's it's a good way to sum it up. Love the enthusiasm there, Nick. I don't know. I just feel like we're saying the same thing over and over again. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. Well, I was curious. Did you come across addiction or vices in philosophy? For either culture? Uh, I mean, in the sense of, like, Stoicism, of, you know, Stoicism and Confucianism, I feel like there's an everything in moderation kind of deal, but not specifically. See, for me, I saw in the Western philosophy, it was a lot more accepting of being the fool. And in Eastern philosophy, it was a lot more frowned upon on being the fool or jester. I don't know if that was just me overthinking things, because, like, I look at Socrates. Like, if you have a good marriage... You'll be a happy man, or if you and if you have a bad marriage, you'll be a philosopher. Something like that was his quote, which is pretty funny to me, considering a non-married man. But it seems like to me, Western philosophy, it almost was very happy to have the fool. Like we need the jester, and in Eastern philosophy, it seemed much more frowned upon. And I don't, I don't know if you came across this or if you have opinion on this. I just saw this, and I'm not quite sure to make of it. I don't know if I'm just reading between the lines or making things up? I would say I agree with you that it seemed like Eastern or sorry, Western philosophers were more able to make jokes about themselves. I didn't see that as much in Eastern philosophy, I guess, but I, <coughs> I didn't come across anything specifically that enough to say a hundred percent either way. Interesting. Just, just out of curiosity, we probably should have done this in the beginning, but who is your favorite philosopher? Uh, I mean, that's a tough question. <laughs> top three, top, your favorite three or something like that. Just the one that kind of just your gut instinct is naturally going to. Uh, I would say probably Kim Jong-un. <laughs> yeah. I'd say the two I most enjoyed reading would be Locke and Hobbes. And then oh, I'd have to go. So you're much further on in history. You're more of a enlightenment onward kind of guy yeah but i also would have to throw i don't know if you'd say i mean i guess marcus aurelius I, his meditations was a great meditations, book. Like meditations was pretty good i mean those would probably be my 
if for purely reading purposes, those would be the ones I enjoyed the most. What about you? Uh, probably Plato and Socrates, to be honest with you. I One of the first books I ever like remember reading like as an adult book was Timus and Critias by Plato, which is talking about Utopia and and uh, Atlantis. And then one of Plato's books is one of my favorite books, which is The Republic. I mean, his al- his analogy with the cave, I still absolutely adore, and I can see it in everything. And then Socrates was just a man after my own heart. He was the devil of devil's advocate, so much so that he was sentenced to death. I know you want to kill me sometimes, Nick, but can you imagine me being such a devil's advocate where you want to actually kill me? That's that's an impressive thing. We're we're getting there, Mike. We're getting oh, there. we're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, I bring I bring in some plant knowledge into philosophy and you want to kill i make one pun and you want to kill me oh, God, well it's God. really the pun thing it's if we <laughs> if we had to put our finger on what was the issue it, it's it's not the well nick it's not the question go with the flow <laughs> well, maybe, or we could change the world around us <laughs> we could remove mike out of the picture or go with the flow i think i know which one you want to go with i mean whichever path has the least puns <laughs> the path. path of last resistance with the path of least puns. <laughs> that's 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 fucking clever. That's a good one. Which is coincidentally not the middle path. <laughs> Nick, you're you're on the borderline of making path uh, making puns yourself. It's it's hard because sometimes you just happen into them. So almost as if you're going with nature, going with the. It seems like you're more Eastern philosophy, Nick. I'll be honest with you. Well, working in nature, you kind of have to be a little bending to nature. You got to bend with the wind, as I say. Oof. That that is very surprising to me. I This is probably because how I was raised and the philosophers I like, but the idea of bending the knee to bowing to, like the grass, bowing to the wind is so foreign to me. It's, it's I don't know, I, I grew up with the mentality of you keep the chin up or else the crown falls. So the idea of bowing to another as if they're better than you is very unnatural to me and i'm not quite sure if it's unnatural to you well i think it's culturally unnatural for the west more so i mean it seems that uh but that being said like you mentioned before the podcast it's like was it nine out of ten of the bloodiest battle or i think seven out of ten of the deadliest wars all took place in china so obviously not afraid to Change stuff, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. Well, I'll be honest. It seems like philosophy isn't religion. And it seems like philosophy might dictate how a person individually lives, but not how society lives. And I I had a hard time grasping what's the difference between religion and philosophy. And I can't, I'll be honest with you, Nick, as a, a atheist with a P, I can't really seem... What, what does that even mean? Um. Well, agnostic doesn't agnostic is you you don't know if god's real or not like you can't find evidence or not a patheist is you don't care if god's real or not gotcha and to me philosophy and religion i had a hard time defining the two lines because you have to imagine these great philosophers are 500 bc to about 300 bc and then stoicism happens after jesus so the bible is starting to be created and written by other individuals a couple hundred years after jesus died uh, but 
the Bible's starting to form. And I'm just like, all these religions are getting transitioned. These philosophies are being made. I just, I have a hard time seeing the difference between philosophy and religion. To me, they're just kind of the same thing with a different name, almost. It seems like philosophy is more individual-based and religion is more group-based. That's that's all that can come to my mind unless... Well, first let me ask, is religion and philosophy different to you? I would say that depends on what religion and philosophy you're talking about it. I mean, because... Well, you're, you're, they you're blend, a Christian, right? Like for me personally or like global, like what's... Let's just say, let, let's take it a little bit more simpler. Let's just, just say you personally. You're, you're a Christian, right? Yeah. Well, is bible a philosophy like what's i i don't i don't quite understand the difference i mean i don't really think there's that much of a difference oh cool i'm not i'm not just an idiot got it cool cool well yes i'm an idiot but at least at least let's but in that aspect you're not yeah cool no i get it okay but i mean that's what's hard about all this is that the tie between religion and philosophy and all these different cultures is hard to separate i mean look at eastern culture i mean buddhism taoism or or taoism uh confucianism they're all technically religions they're also all philosophies so i mean i'd say they're it depends on the example right and like in in the end i mean most of these philosophies are helping you like dictate your life which is kind of what religion does but a philosophy in itself is not a religion unless, say, it is Buddhism, which is also a religion. So, I mean, I guess... It's not a religion all, to all religions, Yeah, all religions are philosophies, but not all philosophies are religions. Is it kind of like the porn scenario? It's like, I know it when I'll see it? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I just... Uh, how do you... I'm walking a fine line here. Well, because I'll, I'll be honest, I truly don't understand because when i look at say the bible it's made up of multiple books made by multiple different people over multiple different generations to me they're all stories almost of like a guidebook of like hey do this in this scenario or this is the lesson or try to be stoic or try to be individualistic or try to go with the flow i i don't really see it as got as a rule book i see it more as a guideline so it's very say with with That's what... religion, there's a little bit more of a spiritual aspect than with just like general philosophy, right? So both of these things tell you tell you how to live in in some way or another, right? Like you look, you read a philosophic text, and it's you're it's causing you to think about how you will how you think about things and how you conduct yourself, which in a sense is the same thing religion does. But there's also a more spiritual part in religion. That I think is separate from, say, Stoicism. I would agree with that with the Western world, but I don't know if I agree with that with the Eastern world. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's the hard part. I would I would say they're one and the same for most Eastern philosophies, and I would say they're tied to religion in the West, but not religion. Okay. Okay. Like after Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism started to die in Rome, some some of those values lived on through the Church, but it wasn't everyone wasn't stoics but they took right some of the lessons from that and implemented that into religion but stoicism itself kind of died 
I yeah, no, I I I saw that. I didn't touch too much into the medieval ages and the Holy Roman Empire, but from what I did, it is that that kind of seems right. That makes sense to me. Of in the Western world, the spiritualism is what separates it. In the Eastern world, they're one and the same. I buy that. You can you can pull the wool over my eyes off of that one. I believe that. Well, Nick, I have a question for all those listening. What's your favorite philosopher in history? And uh, it could be the most popular one. It could be one we've never heard of, preferably one we've never heard of, because that way we have more people to explore. But I would love to hear if you made it this far to tell us what your favorite philosopher is. And Nick, where can they tell us? Find us on Reddit and Instagram. And maybe Twitter, because it looks like Twitter is going to be a lot more stoic in nature. But with that being said, being a little tongue-in-cheek there, Nick, what book are you reading? I'm reading Wood by Roland Eno still. So I'm in the same boat. I'm still reading Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink, and it's a bit self-helpish. It's a bit philosophical. It's a, it's a pretty decent read, about halfway through it right now, and I would actually recommend. And then we can cut the rest of this. My question for you is, is Marxism an Eastern or a Western religion? Eastern. That's kind of because it is more focused on the society as a whole and giving up stuff for yourself. I feel like that's the bad. That's like, I feel like the two crossovers between Eastern and Western is Stoicism and Marxism. Like, <laughs> you have a good and a bad. Uh, completely agree. Uh, to me, my my the only reason why I chose East was how many cultures have accepted East? Uh, how many cultures in the East have accepted Marxism? China, Vietnam, North Korea, I think Philippines for a little while. It's just, I mean, in America, it's better dead than red. So it seems very anti-Marxist to me. Yeah, no, I'd agree. I I think most that the acceptance mostly tends to be in the East, as well as it's a lot more societal focused, which is a big part of Eastern philosophy, more so than Western philosophy. I'll be honest, if you're still listening and you want to hear us talk about nihilism and Marxism and Nietzsche, let us know, because I would love to discuss, one, that mustache. Nietzsche killed the mustache, but also the man who killed God would be very interested to go against Marxism. Well, with that being said, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to the Backyard Philosophy Podcast. We rarely finish a podcast without missing a point we wanted to bring up, so let us know what we forgot. And if you have a topic you want us to talk about, let us know at Backyard Philosophy on Instagram and Backyard Philosophy Podcast on Facebook.